Welcome to the Bjergnes podcast and welcome to the podcast booth at the climate festival Warmere, Wotere, Villere in Bergen. I am Inge Pilskog and your host for the episode. With me in the booth, I have Vadna Kumar, a postdoctoral fellow at the Bjergnes Center and the Geophysical Institute at the University of Bergen. Vadna, welcome. Thank you, Inge. Uh, I understand that you are here to join the session around the world with climate science and are to talk about Pacific Islands in a rising ocean. This talk is based on the research done in the Ocean State Project. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, before we go into that, though, I would like to know, like, who are you and how did you, how did you end up here? Uh, well, um, you already know my name. I'm from the Fiji Islands. So uh, in Fiji, our university, the regional university, University of the South Pacific, I finished my Bachelor's of Science there in 2011. And uh, after that, I, I knew I didn't want to go directly in the work field. I still wanted to be a student. And uh, climate change was a very hot topic in the Pacific back then. And uh, I applied for a scholarship to pursue my master's uh, in climate change at, uh, at USP. And uh, um, I worked then with the Bureau of Metrology in Melbourne uh, to look at uh, um, climate models and uh, if they're doing a good job at uh, simulating rainfall and uh, temperature patterns for the Fiji Islands. And um, that was a very nice experience. I got to go to Melbourne and spend some time there. And then I came back to Fiji and wrote my thesis. And uh, after that was uh, finished, I still wasn't done. I felt like, okay, I should study some more. And uh, it is uh, particularly because uh, Fiji, being a developing country, um, climate change, like for all our island neighbors, is a very pressing issue. But the problem is that there are not enough technical resources or the human capacity to help people cope with this sudden change. Uh, so I decided to pursue my PhD and I was applying for scholarships uh, in many places and I was lucky to get selected for the IPCC awards. And uh, after, from there onwards, I went to Toulouse um, to do my PhD in uh, oceanography. I, I was actually looking at sea level rise and um, if we could develop some kind of model to uh, project or uh, simulate sea level rise uh, for the Pacific Islands. Um, I was hoping that uh, after I submit my thesis, I could continue um, in a similar field, answering similar research questions. And uh, about the time I defended my thesis in uh, 2019, uh, I learned that uh, um, an anthropologist from the University of Bergen, Edward, who is my, now my project leader, has actually uh, uh, started this interdisciplinary project looking at sea level rise in the Pacific Islands, which is exactly what I wanted to continue in. And uh, just before I defended my thesis, I sent my application to uh, UIB 
and um, a few days before my defense, I, I got the letter, the email that uh, I have been selected for the postdoc. And um, after defending my thesis in Toulouse, I went back to Fiji for uh, two months or so. And I came here in January 2020, just before the pandemic. And I've been here since. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So a long road. First, the yes. uh, regional university at Fiji, yeah. yes. then Australia with the uh, research there. Yeah, yeah. From, yeah. Uh, just uh, out of curiosity, the, when you were looking at the precipitation on yes. the island, were the models good enough to actually, like, getting that on the islands or were it sort of mostly I like ocean areas in the models? Yeah, so uh, that's a very uh, good point. That's a problem. So uh, the main tools that we as climate scientists have today are climate models. Mm. Uh, but uh, they're very good on a global scale. So when you're looking at the whole uh, uh, world mm. uh, or like big regional scales, but as soon as you try to zoom in, they're not so good. So there are some techniques, uh, they're called downscaling, and you sort of try to put, feed little bits and pieces of information into the model that normally the model wouldn't be able to see. And then you try to see if it improves any, anything. Mm. So uh, there was a little bit of improvement with this technique, but uh, it still wasn't um, uh, that reliable. No. Yeah. And then you moved to France. Yes, yes. Yeah. And you started looking into sea level rise. Yes, yes. Uh, like where you, then you were working from a natural science perspective. Yes, yes. My mm. bachelor's uh, at, uh, from the University of Pacific, uh, mm. University of the South Pacific, USP. Mm. It was in science. I did maths and chemistry. Yeah. Uh, so... What was the main finding from your PhD then? Um, that uh, sea levels in the Pacific, they're mainly controlled by um, regional wind mm. patterns. Okay. And uh, we can use wind to actually uh, predict sea levels yeah. for the future. Yeah. Is, uh, but those islands, are those like very affected by... Thermal expansion of the ocean, or is it mostly the wind that is governing the sea level rise? Well, there? thermal expansion is there, of course, yeah. but uh, it's the wind that's um, thermal expansion. You can say that um, uh, it, it is there. It's mm. part of the sea level rise trend that we are seeing now. Yeah. But uh, if we go to specific regions or areas, it's the winds that can be pushing more waters in one mm. area and uh, pulling away waters from the other. So uh, in the Pacific uh, mm. Basin, for yeah. example, if you look at Peru on uh, the eastern side, and then if you look, uh, if you come close to Indonesia mm. and the Solomon Islands on the western side, even without sea level rise, uh, sea levels on, on the western end of the Pacific Basin are about half a meter higher than that in the east because the easterly trade winds, the southeast and the northeast trade winds, they push warm waters to the uh, western end. Mm. So then the, like the, um, the, the winds here 
by becoming like there's more energy in the system so it's stronger winds yes. and more stable or stationary patterns for a longer time that yeah. will give this larger effect uh, um the wind yeah um the wind patterns they're actually controlled by uh, natural mm. variability in climate that mm. occurs uh, uh, on interannual say one or two years or mm. decadal time scales yeah you may have heard about something called el nino yeah so uh, when that happens the trade winds actually weaken and uh, when it's opposite La Nina happens, the trade winds uh, strengthen. And the same kind of variability happens on decadal scales too, called uh, uh, the Pacific decadal oscillations. Mm. And similar things happen in uh, other ocean basins too, mm. uh, like the Atlantic Ocean and so on. So in the Pacific, we have mostly these two and they happen naturally and um, for some years, you have stronger winds, and then in the others, they relax a bit. Mm. And this so the sea level rise in the Pacific, especially around the oceans, there will have the sort of cyclic. Uh, yes, yes. So even though it was there, I mean, mm. El Nino and decadal variability have always been there, but because now there's sea level rise, whatever higher or lower sea levels you would have experienced during. Um, uh, these uh, episodes, they will now be uh, greater because there's more water. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So now you're in Bergen mm -hmm. and you're part of the uh, Ocean State project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is the main goal of the Ocean State project? Okay, so uh, sea level rise in the Pacific Islands, it's not just one thing, it's affecting so many things. And uh, the Ocean States project in particular, it's, it's looking at how it affects um, the future of uh, these maritime zones or the exclusive economic zones. So what the exclusive econo economic zones or maritime zones are is that you take your island or your group of islands and then uh, from the outermost island or the outermost point, you measure 200 nautical miles. Mm. And uh, that is uh, that uh, part of the sea is legally yours. So you can give fishing licenses and you have legal rights. It's um, You have as much rights on it as you have on the land, sort of. Um, now, what happens with sea level rise is that these points that were used to calculate the 200 nautical uh, mile uh, boundary, they will get submerged mm -hmm. because they were calculated from the furthermost point mm -hmm. of the islands exposed at low tide. But with sea level, that point is going to be covered. And this means that large chunks of these uh, exclusive economic zones of the islands could be lost. What, what happens because there's no uh, there's no law to to say what will be the future when this when this happens. Um, so that was the main question that mm. uh, our project was trying to look at. Very interesting. So yeah. it's actually like you are a climate scientist from natural science. Mm -hmm. It's led by Evan that is an anthropologist. Yes. And you're doing legal groundbreaking yes. work. It's it's actually an interdisciplinary project. So mm -hmm. we have three main disciplines. So uh, I'm in climate science. Mm 
Mm. And uh, the other postdoc is from international law. And uh, we have a PhD student in anthropology. So we're looking at the same question from different angles. And uh, I should also mention that um, because these islands, they're very, very small, the area of their ocean is much bigger than uh, the, land the, the land area. And um, the future of uh, the maritime zones has very big implications for their economic situation and livelihoods. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so what's, like, what's your role in this project? Like you said you were one of several postdocs. Yeah. Uh, like, so what's your role and what's making, like, you're obviously excited about this, so. Uh, yes, uh, my role is uh, to do the climate science bit, to work with climate models and come up with uh, projections about sea levels to actually um, convey to my peers in international law and anthropology how much sea levels are projected to rise according to the climate models. Mm. Is, is it 50 centimeters? Is it one meter? How much will it be by 2050? How much by the end of the century? So mm. on. Yeah, and now I'm just like going off on a tangent mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. I'm always mm -hmm. getting excited mm -hmm. about stuff like this. So when you said that there's cycles in the sea mm -hmm. level rise mm -hmm. here because of the winds are cycling, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That could actually mean that sort of like one year there, there would be a small island mm -hmm. which would give rights mm -hmm. and then in some like then it's changing because of the cycles it gets flooded but might come back again or am I totally wrong there? Um, no, not, not so far off. Um, so these natural variations, mm. they were always there. So if you have, um, in the Western Pacific, if you have uh, the opposite of El Nino, mm. uh, which is La Nina, yeah. so sea levels would be higher, maybe about 20, um, they could go 10 to 20 centimeters higher, depending on the strength of the event. Mm. During, the, uh, during El Nino, because the trade winds have, um, uh, have weakened, sea level actually falls a little back. It all depends on how strong it is, but again, it might be like 20 centimeters or so. When the cyclones come, they, um, they, they're accompanied by storm surges. So it's many things happening at the same time. And um, before you would have areas that would get flooded uh, maybe once or in extreme cases twice every decade or so. Mm. Now things like that are happening every one or two years and in some places it is uh, it is more often than mm. that. Yeah, and then you add erosion to everything as well so the islands yeah. can get eroded. And, yes, yes. Mm. So each time that happens you have part of the coastline being washed away. Mm. And uh, in Fiji, where I am from, uh, many villages have been re relocated inland or mm. are in the process of being relocated. And um, several more are projected to relocate in future. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, like we've already, like it's obvious that this is, like this project and your research will fit very in, nicely into a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's quite clear. Um, but are there anything that you are worried about in the future? 
Uh, I am concerned about the future of uh, Pacific Islanders mm -hmm. because um, they are already quite vulnerable people. They don't have the same kind of privileges or resources that people in developed countries have. And uh, being a developing Pacific Island countries, um, their contribution to the total global greenhouse gas emissions, which is causing climate change, is less than 1% yet they are on the forefront of the problem. So um, I, am, I am concerned about their future. Um, it is difficult for them to relocate. I mean, it never is, even when you have uh, the resources to do so. But uh, um, the situation they're in, they're, they don't have so much financial resources and a lot of the money they need... Uh, uh, for for such measures comes from foreign aid and donor agencies. Mm -hmm. So it's like your fate. I mean, what the situate not just the situation you're in now, but also your future is in the hands of uh, others. Mm. Yeah, that sounds quite precarious. Yes, yes. Uh, to end on a better note, though. Yes. What makes you hopeful? Um, um I guess. If I really had to answer, I would say faith in mankind. Um, yes, but um, I'm hoping that uh, we can we could we can count on humanity to um, save uh, save vulnerable people. Yeah, let's hope that the humanity steps up to its, this challenge. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining me here in the booth, and good luck with your talk later today. And Good, good luck with your future research. Thank you. And I will love to follow your work further on. Thank you. Thank you, Inyo, for having me here. Pleasure. You have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjerknes Center for Climate Research. The podcast was recorded at the climate festival Valmara Votara Velara in a podcast booth provided by Numunu Podcast Simplified. Responsible for the podcast and the editing is me, Engel Pilskog, Associated Professor at Western University of Applied Sciences.